Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, suicide, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Bienvenidos, bitches, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes who are also able bodied. (laughs) No, there are many well documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. And we will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist allegedly and we are wendy and beth she's wendy a black latinx woman and i'm beth and i just happen to be white it is not her fault (laughs) (laughs) we're not journalists investigators or psychologists just a couple of gals interested in true crime also the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294 and we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. So, who 
are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Jalen Ray Freiberg, a 15-year-old freshman who shot five other students at Marysville Pilchuck High School in 2014, killing four. In the end, he turned the gun on himself. And this subject was suggested to us by our fruity Marlene. Hey, what's up, Marlene? Thank you. Yeah, thanks. But before we get into it, if you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And that's in the U.S., 1-800-273-8255 or 1-866-SPEAK-UP. The first and only national hotline for students to safely and anonymously report weapon threats, school shooting threats in their community. Spread the word. Yep. Uh, and we'll have those phone numbers in our show notes. Yeah. So, uh, how you doing? Um, well, it's been a nutty month, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> On the prayer list. You've been there yeah, for a thank while. You. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am glad to have my daughter and my grandson home with me. Mm. Um, even if it is absolute chaos, it's it's more fun. Yes. <laughs> it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my sister Minnie is joining the Fruit Loops Ooh, team, Minnie. which I'm very excited about. Yes. Yeah. Whoops, wrong button. <laughs> But she is another one joining the show. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't had a lot of time to do much research lately. So Minnie's going to be our new researcher. Yeah, it's very exciting. And Minnie, yeah. we're so happy to have you. Yes. And also this month is Native American Heritage Month. And if you Google it, there's confetti and little sayings that stream down from the top of the page. It's pretty cool. So check it out. Awesome. Thank yeah. you for the, for that. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm good. Uh, now, this is an interesting case, and it's weird how it lined up with my life, with events in my oh. life. Um, as uh, I was researching it, uh, me and old Whitey got a call from my kid's cool school saying that my son was in the oh, principal's no. office. Yeah. Um, and my first thought was... Uh, well, what did the other kids do? <laughs> I'm always fighting. I, I, I ride for my, my for mine first. Um, yeah. So the vice principal reported that a kid had brought a knife to school, and my son told an adult about it. Oh wow, good for yeah. him. But our one of our main questions is, you know, first is everybody safe, right? Right. But if school safety is really a, the concern, what is happening at that school that would have a child feel like a weapon is necessary? Are they feeling yeah. fear for their physical safety? Is there bullying right. going on? Is there a deeper issue than just taking the weapon away and punishing yeah. the student who brought it? Um, right. So we've been pretty vocal at um, repeatedly, probably very annoying to the school, but I don't give a fuck. Um, Too bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the good news is it's given us an opportunity to have conversations with our kids about feeling safe at school, which is so wild that we have to yeah. do that. Um, and with also the school about the same. So Right. Well, good. Gift that's, and a curse. Actually, good. Yeah. yeah. Um. So now we're gonna mosey on over to the listener letter portion of our show. Well, hello, angels. Thank <sighs> you. Ah, yes. What's in that beautiful bag, babe? <laughs> Well, we got a five-star review from Little Miss Horror Nerd, so I wanted to say thank you for that. Oh, Donka Shane! Yeah, and uh, in your review, you mentioned at first getting annoyed when Wendy says everything is racism, <laughs> and then realizing that it's true. Oh my God, thank you! She gets yeah. it! 
<laughs> and I, I hear you, girl. Uh, when we first started this podcast, I had the same sort of awakening thanks to Wendy. So yeah, it is it is an awakening. You're like, everything can't be racism. And then you're like, oh, wait, wait a minute. And it is. <laughs> Oh my God, that's so funny. Thank you. That is really, that's wonderful. I love, you love to see it. Look at us yeah. changing the world. Pew, pew. We also got a beautiful message from our patron Chantel with a tasty side of shout out. Ooh, so okay. <laughs> she said, I discovered your podcast a week and a half ago and I am hooked. Oh. I feel like I've come out the other end, a different person. You've given me so much to think about. I appreciate all the context, history and perspectives you each bring to these stories. I also really love the honest way you speak about racism, colonization, and slavery. White men fucked it all up, and now we're not supposed to talk about it? Come Fun on now. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I truly lament the world we've lost to colonization. Ooh, yeah, That's motherfucking bars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She goes on to say, anyway, my Amazon Prime membership just came up for renewal, but instead of renewing, I used the funds to support some of my favorite podcasts, including yours. Oh, my God. The last episode in my 1.5 week binge catch up just happened to be episode 134, the episode with my call out. <laughs> Absolutely loved it, Wendy. It was a perfect choice as I am an aspiring 5.1 foot. I'm uh currently five foot. <laughs> Yes. And then she said, can I suggest a heartwarming, fuzzy feeling podcast called Anupam Cares? I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. Anu Anupam? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Anupam Kerr, an amazing Indian actor and a lovely man. The episodes are short, but the stories are so sweet and will definitely make you laugh out loud. He's just a great storyteller. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chantel. Thanks Thank for you. all of that. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, no. It's happening uh, again. Uh, okay, okay, turn it okay, off. Cool, cool, cool. cool. <laughs> And then finally, we got a bad review from someone saying that I was being disrespectful to the victims in the collaboration episode with the Murder History Girls. Yeah. But uh, I, when I read that, I was like, what? I, I didn't know what they meant. Uh -huh. So I, I wanted to know because I don't want to do that. No, and no. So I put a call out to our fruities and it was suggested that what was meant was that when I was laughing, when I kept calling the victims Denise mm -hmm. and, and I knew. I was doing that when it was happening and I was laughing because I was getting frustrated with myself uh -huh. because my brain kept going to Denise and uh, I knew that was wrong. Yeah. So laughing is one of my coping mechanisms. Yeah. yeah. And um, I definitely meant no disrespect. So I apologize if that came off as disrespectful. Well, I um, hip hop air horns to Beth. Um <laughs> And, and I think all of us sort of, anybody could find ourselves in this position. I know <laughs> it happens to me regularly. What? I made somebody <laughs> upset. Um, but really, we're all just like out here doing our best. And I know I'm not perfect. Beth, uh, I, I mean, I look at you like my neck hurts looking up at you because you're, you're way up there. <laughs> Get out of here. Pedestal. 
I know none of us are perfect. We're just doing our best. And I mean, that is just a fact, recognizing that. And we just keep trying. Like, this might be a little stumble. I'm sure it's not going to be the last as far as Beth and Wendy are concerned. But we just keep trying. We're human. We make mistakes. And we're just trying. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just wanted people to know, especially the families of those victims, that I, I met no disrespect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Be- beautiful, Beth. Thank you. Thank you for sharing <laughs> your humanity with again. us. <laughs> uh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So now um, we got a new patron. Or no, yeah. it's Patreon. Uh, so Kimberly B just became a $5 patron. Uh, and thank you. Hip hop air horns to you before I forget. Yeah. And here is your tune. I had a whole other one written, and then I was chilling, listening to gospel music this morning, and this one hit me. So, oh wow, cool. Okay, fruities from heaven, Kimberly, Kimberly. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Kimberly. Fruities from heaven. Thank you, Kimberly. And that's all. Well, thank you, Kimberly. <laughs> thank you, Kimberly, for supporting our show. Yeah. I'm not sure if Kimberly's a Kirk Franklin fan, but get into it. Uh, so you now we're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, we're back. Whew. Um, don't go outside. It's terrible out there. Just kidding. Uh, but in here, uh, we're back. And yeah. with, remind us, who is our subject today? Today, our subject is Jalen Freiberg, a 15-year-old indigenous boy who shot five classmates, two of whom were his cousins in what was the deadliest school shooting in the U.S. in 2014. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, all right. Well, now we're going to get into the, some stats. Normally, I would do a hip hop air horn. I just don't feel right about it today. Yeah. Um, so the victims of the shootings were all kids about yeah. 14 years old. Um, and the community, the school and the, the um, Native American tribe and the families of the town, they were also victims. So victim is uh, sort of all encompassing to everybody right. involved in this story. Um, those who were killed were Zoe Rainey Galasso. Uh, Zoe was 14 years old. She lived in Mary Marysville with her parents and older brother. She loved animals, road trips, and live music. Friends described her as bubbly, uh, an artist who made everyone laugh. Uh, she played every sport, but especially loved soccer. She and Andrew Freiberg went to the homecoming dance together, and she spread her happiness and delight with new experiences everywhere. Gia Soriano was 14, rest in power. 
and if I hadn't mentioned it before, rest in power, um, all of y'all babies. Um, yeah. uh, Gia Soriano, 14, lived in Marysville with her parents and younger brother. She was looking forward to learning how to drive. Gosh, that really puts it into perspective. She loved yeah. animals and hoped to be a veterinarian when she grew up. Her family donated her organs when she died. A cousin received her kidney. Gia was gentle, loving, uh, loving young woman who loved children and animals of all kinds. She was friendly to everyone she came across. She had a thoughtful and soft-spoken manner and exuded a warm confidence. Uh, Shaley uh, Chukulnaskit, uh, 14 years old, lived in Marysville and was devoted to her parents, uh, sister and brothers. She was Colville and Snoqualmie, but the Tulalip tribe said she and her family were part of the extended Tulalip family. Known affectionately as Shay Shay, uh, she lives sports, especially volleyball and basketball. Shaylee was very outgoing, confident, silly, persistent, fearless, and forgiving. Fantastic qualities in a young girl. She was also a fighter with spirit and had faith that could move mountains. Uh, Andrew Martin Leroy Freiberg was 15 years old, and he was Jalen Freiberg's cousin. Uh, he was a member of the Tulalip tribe and lived on the reservation. As a firstborn boy in a family filled with girls, he was protective of his siblings, nieces, and nephews, and he was a natural athlete and loved spending time on the water. He and his sister would take spontaneous trips to Yakima. Woo, I'm in Yakima. Wow. Yeah, so they, it's by Seattle. Uh, oh, so they, okay. so they uh, could um, get food from miners driving. Andrew was known for his uh, one-of-a-kind personality, uh, and he was always smiling, very outgoing, um, and for being overprotective and caring, and being an amazing friend, uncle, brother, and son. Nate Hatch was 14 years old. He was also Jalen Freiberg's cousin and was shot in the face, but he survived. And at first I didn't find much information written about him. And I think that had to do with the fact that he was a minor um, and his family right. asked for privacy after the tragedy, but he is on Twitter and is pretty active oh, okay. there. Um, so I, you know, saw a couple of his tweets and he's, you know, he, he's a good young person, um, you know, kind of uh, an advocate for victims. Um, and uh, stopping school shootings. Nice. Uh, so now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. The Tulalip Tribes is a federally recognized Native American tribe located on the Tulalip Reservation north of Everett and west of Marysville in the state of Washington. Reservation boundaries set by the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855 gave a permanent home to the Snohomish, Snoqualmie, Skyhomish, Stillquamish, and other allied tribes and bands. Uh, and one of my best friends is uh, lives on the Tulalip Reservation. Oh, wow. Uh, my college, one of my college roommates. So um, in this treaty, the tribes gave up millions of acres of land in exchange for a small amount of money and permanent protection from the U.S. government. When Tulalip organized in 1934 under the Indian Reorganization Act, IRA for short, they agreed to adopt the name Tulalip Tribes from the Salish word describing the prominent bay on the reservation. Prior to European invasion, Native American villages in the Puget Sound region were located along the rivers and bays, the connecting waterways for food, culture, and trade. The largest and most important Snohomish village was Hebolub. Other Snohomish villages were located as far north as what is now Warm Beach, west to Kamano Island, Hat Island, and Whidbey Island, and inland following river routes. In 1857, a Roman Catholic missionary established a mission and boys' school, this doesn't sound good, at Tulalip, and a girls' school was added in 1868. 
1901, the government began operating the school at Tulalip, building a new structure which served as a as the regional Indian agency headquarters. The school was planned to accommodate a thousand students serving all Native Americans west of the Cascades. In reality, it could only house 75. There were separate dormitories for boys and girls. While girls learned cooking, sewing, and housekeeping, boys were taught vocational trades. In an attempt to suppress indigenous culture, the government operated the school in military style, and the experience for Tulalip's was brutal. Uh, And that's an understatement. Students were subjected to daily marches and were punished for speaking their native language and practicing native customs. Today, the Tulalip tribes offer group sessions to former students who, as seniors, are still coping with the trauma for their boarding school days. And that trauma is generational. Yeah. Yeah. The school officially closed in 1932 and students were absorbed into the Marysville school system. And the Marysville school district now serves both the reservation and the city. Tulalip Elementary, located on the Tulalip Reservation, is part of the Marysville schools and students maintain a website of Tulalip Indian traditions, language and stories. That's pretty neat. Yeah, Uh, there is an excellent documentary called We Were Children on Amazon Prime. Ooh, that got me. Uh, And it was about residential schools. It's horrifying. I bet. I've also heard about uh, mass graves at these uh, schools all across North America. Yeah. And a couple things to consider for a culture corner is that recently they've uncovered over thousands of bodies, thousands of bodies of children. Um, And also that survivors of the schools who were brave enough to share their experiences have reported that they were forced to dig those graves and bury their peers. Um, And the the schools were meant to save the man and kill the Indian, Um, but were also used to dismantle indigenous communities. And it's just horrifying. Terrible. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, uh, awful. Yeah. Awful, awful, awful. The Tulalip Reservation is rich with natural resources, marine waters, tidelands, freshwater creeks and lakes, wetlands and forests. The forests had great cultural significance to regional native tribes. And for thousands of years, these natives had a highly developed fishing culture. Their art and stories centered around woods and water and the creatures who inhabited those places. Yeah, somebody needs to consider all this indigenous wisdom because the world is on fire. We really need their help. Um, But these forests also attracted white settlers to the Pacific Northwest for their economic potential and treaty promises that the natives could continue to fish, hunt and trade in their traditional place were contested for decades, escalating land development, destroyed fish and wildlife habitat. Through the latter part of the 19th century and the 20th century, the Tulalip community became increasingly impoverished due to corruption and greed on the part of the Indian agency and others. Also, federal and state governments had imposed laws and regulations on how they were to live and where they could fish, gather, and hunt. Mm. In 1934, the federal government passed the Indian Reorganization Act. The legislation restored self-government and the ability to manage their lands. A constitution was adopted that declared all of the people living at Tulalip would be known as the Tulalip tribes. Fishing provided good seasonal money for the Tulalips until the mid-1970s, when fish populations were dwindling and tribes competed with large commercial fishing operations. The Tulalip tribe set up a small fish hatchery on the reservation, making the Tulalips one of the first native tribes to own and operate a hatchery. The Tulalips tribes also ventured into both real estate and the sale of fireworks. All right. Uh, Tulalips opened a uh, bingo parlor in 1983, and in 1988, Tulalip leaders 
others began plans for a casino after a federal law was passed that allowed for it. Tulalip's first casino opened on July 20th, 1992, creating many jobs at decent wages for tribal members. Kilsada Village, a multi-million dollar commercial development complete with a resort casino, amphitheater and shopping centers incorporated as its own municipality. Within the 450 acres of commercial land, more than 60 acres has been set aside to protect salmon spawning areas and provide walking trails and picnic areas. Kelsita Village is the first and only IRS recognized tribal city in the United States. Wow. And the Tulalip Tribes is one of the largest employers in Snohomish County. Wow. It's really awesome. Yeah, um, that gives me hope. Yeah. Um, now, this has been an economic windfall, not only for the tribe, but also for its neighboring city of Marysville, which lies east of the reservation. Marysville and Tulalip have created the Greater Marysville Tulalip Chamber of Commerce, presently the only United States chamber created as a joint venture between a city and a sovereign nation. Also cool. Very. Since 1936, the Tulalip Tribes has had its own tribal council and is currently self-governing. 92% of government services, tribal member entitlements, family and senior housing, education, health and dental services, law enforcement, fire protection, infrastructure improvements and economic growth are funded from within. The population is over 5,000 and growing with 2,700 members residing on the approximately 22,000 acres. Tulalip Indian Reservation. Wow. Now, according to Native American youth experts, Native American youths experience more violence than any other group of young people in the country, which is strange when you consider that they are one of the smallest minorities that we have yeah. um, in terms of BIPOC. And they are often the victims of witnesses of domestic and gang violence, sexual assault, or bullying. Such exposure can lead to altered neurological development, poor physical and mental health, poor school performance, substance abuse, and overrepresentation in the juvenile justice system. It can also lead young people to attempt suicide or commit other acts of violence. Three quarters of the deaths of Native Americans ages 12 to 20 are violent, and Native American teens die from suicide at a higher rate than any other group in the United States. Wow. Yeah. They experience post-traumatic stress disorder at the same rate as veterans who fought in Iraq and Afghanistan. Let that sink in. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. In Tulalip, only half of the young people graduate from high school. Their life expectancy is 2.4 years lower than average, and they are twice as likely to die before they turn 24. Mm. From 2003 to 2007, Native Americans in the county had twice as many deaths from injuries as whites and nearly three times as many car accidents. Wow. Uh, Gaming money goes to the tribal government, then trickles down to social services that help keep the suicide rate lower than on some other reservations. Still, according to the Tulalip Tribal Court Associate Judge Ron Wittener, quote, these economies have only been going since the late 80s, early 90s. That's not a long time to knock that snowball off its path down the hill, unquote. In 2015, the poverty rate on the reservation was more than double the U.S. average and four times the average for the surrounding county. Many things get passed down through families like genetic conditions and physical characteristics. In some cases, trauma can be inherited too. Mm -hmm. This is referred to as generational trauma. It's trauma that 
isn't just experienced by one person, but extends from one generation into the next. On a cellular level, y'all. Yeah. Uh, the concept of generational trauma was first recognized in 1966 when Canadian psychiatrist Vivian M. Rakoff, MD, and her colleagues recorded high rates of psychological distress among children of Holocaust survivors. According to child and adolescent psychiatrist and author Gayani De Silva, MD, quote, trauma affects genetic processes, leading to traumatic reactivity being heightened in populations who experience a greater deal of trauma, unquote. According to Dr. De Silva, everyone is susceptible to generational trauma, but there are specific populations that are vulnerable due to their histories. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> quote, being systematically exploited, enduring, repeated and continual abuse, racism and poverty are all traumatic enough to cause genetic changes, unquote. The symptoms of generational trauma may include hypervigilance, a sense of shortened future, mistrust, aloofness, high anxiety, depression, panic attacks, nightmares, insomnia, a sensitive fight or flight response, and issues with self-esteem and confidence. Now would be a good time for a better help ad. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so now we're going to get into the early life of Jalen Freiberg. Jalen Ray Freiberg was born on July 31st, 1999. He was a member of the Tulalip tribe and he lived on the reservation with his family. The Freiberg family is one of the largest on the reservation. There are hundreds of Freibergs living there, but Jalen's immediate family is a distinguished branch that has produced many local leaders. His father, Ray Freiberg Jr., worked for the Tribal Natural Resource Department and led drum circles. Jalen's grandfather also worked at the National Resource Department and his grandmother was the tribal CEO. Wow. I know. Powerful. Yeah. Uh, his mother, Wendy, sat on the Marysville School District Board of Directors. Ray Freiberg Jr. was the subject of a tribal domestic violence protective order. We haven't found a lot of details about the domestic violence case, but I believe it had to do with a previous relationship before Jalen's mom. In any case, it's significant to Jalen's upbringing and how the young man got the gun in the first place. Locals remember Jalen as among the best and brightest of the young people. He, like his father and grandfather, embraced his Native American traditions. He participated in drum circles and dances, paddled alongside his father in a regional event called Canoe Journey, and posted a video of his traditional chanting. He proudly posted pictures of himself in feather headdresses. One Tulalip member told ABC News that he had, quote, charisma and raw talent, unquote. He was a type 1 diabetic, but that didn't seem to stop him from living his life. A cousin says Jalen's father pushed him to be competitive in sports, and he played on the freshman football team and he wrestled. He got good grades and had a big group of friends. He had a steady girlfriend named Shailene George, who went to a neighboring school. He was close friends with his cousins, Andrew Freiberg and Nate Hatch. A former wrestling coach at Jalen's school told the New York Times that Jalen was, quote, an outgoing person that everyone in school loved, unquote. He was popular and described as generally happy, a really nice kid, and not a violent person. A close friend, Mitchell Sawyer, said, quote, he was a good kid, always clowning around, having a good time. He always had a smile on his face. He was always great to be around, unquote. Jalen enjoyed hunting and he was given guns for his birthdays by his father. He Ooh. posted pictures of himself on social media posing with deer that he had shot in order to bring meat home to his elders, mm -hmm. an important part of tribal culture. He used multiple social media accounts that frequently depicted him hunting and using rifles. Students in Tulalip and Marysville get to choose which high school they attend and 
The kids in Jalen's group were excited that they could enroll together freshman year at Marysville Pilchuck, a school located about 40 miles north of Seattle. His friend Karen Parks transferred into the school district so she could attend Marysville Pilchuck with her friends, and his cousin Andrew Freiberg begged his sisters to buy him hundreds of dollars of new school clothes. (laughs) That reminds me of (laughs) stuff I did when I went to school. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, when I went to school, my dad would say, you each get $100. Uh, Make it count. Yeah, $100 for a whole wardrobe for a whole year. Thanks, Dad. I don't even know how much my parents spent, but uh, not enough. Uh, (laughs) It was never enough. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Another friend, Shaylee Chucklenasket, loved her new school and never wanted to miss a day. This is, I I was going to say, before we get to this next point, this is all sounding pretty, you know, great, right? Promising. But Jalen seemed to have trouble adjusting. Teachers later told investigators his grades had slipped because he would spend class with his head on his desk or playing on his phone. He missed his fourth period English class 10 days in a row. And one source said that he sometimes missed school due to his diabetes. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues immersive scenes danger and romance That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Um, Please be warned, this is disturbing. So yeah. On October 13th, which was a Monday, Jalen's classmates elected him homecoming prince. But on Tuesday, he and a football teammate got into a fight before practice. 
the kid Jalen fought with had said that, quote, natives are a bunch of good for nothing slaves and natives don't mm. deserve to live. This is our land. Why are you even here? Unquote. What? Which is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. What a dumb fuck. <laughs> Who is this kid? <laughs> so Jalen punched the kid in the face and gave him a bloody nose. Sounds like he deserved it. <laughs> it does. And I also wonder... Um, you know, uh, comments like that. Uh, this young kid was probably hearing shit like that at home. Yeah, thinking probably. it was okay to say. Um, right. Jalen and the other boy were sus- they were both suspended, which is fucked up, from school and expelled from the football team. Also that week, Jalen was acting differently toward his girlfriend, Shailene George. She texted him on Thursday, October sixteenth, saying, "Quote: You've had a really short fuse with me lately, and you're not loving me like I know you know how." A source said that Freiburg had become violent with Shailene. That's how. Saturday before the homecoming dance, Jalen and his friends met at the casino so their parents could take photos. Jalen wore a red dress shirt, a black bow tie, and sneakers. Some of the kids went as couples, including Jalen and Shailene. After the dance, the group went to Jalen's house. Two kids who were there say Shailene got mad at Jalen for flirting with another girl. The group left the couple alone to sort it out, but their arguing escalated, and it sounded as if the fighting had turned physical. The couple then broke up. On October 18th, which uh, I think was the same day, um, Freiburg texted Shailene, quote, don't bother coming to my funeral, unquote. Then early on Sunday, Jalen went hunting. He texted Shailene, quote, I'm going to the woods to shoot something, unquote. So at school on Monday, October 20th, Jalen appeared distraught. According to Karen Parks, he was, quote, being weird, unquote, adding that he was acting like a, quote, unquote, psycho about the breakup. According to another friend, Carmen Lopez, quote, I knew the breakup hit him hard, but he was always saying how heartbroken he was. And then the next minute he would be completely different, unquote. Curran Park said Jalen and Shailene often broke up and would then get back together. For months, Jalen had flooded his Twitter page with posts like, fuck it, uh, might as well die now, or you're going to piss me off and then some shit's going to go down, and I don't think you'll like it. In mid-September, he indicated that a friend had done something to make him upset. Quote, did you forget she was my girlfriend? Dude, she tells me everything, and now I fucking hate you. You're no longer my brother, unquote. So I'm just pointing out that there's a lot going on with this young emotions, man. A lot yeah. of emotions. Um, I feel like when he said, I'm going to go hunting, like that was a good way to cope, um, especially for indigenous communities, getting back out into nature is a way to heal. Yeah. Um, but um uh, might not have been enough. So on October 22nd, Jalen uh, texted Shailene, quote, I set the date. Hopefully you regret not talking to me. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but you will. And bang, bang, I'm dead, unquote. Then Shailene asked Freiburg to stop. And he replied, no, you don't care. I don't care. Shailene stopped responding to Freiburg's texts, which appeared to make him even angrier. That week, Jalen posted tweets like, all right, you fucking got me. That broke me. And it breaks me. It actually does. I know it seems like I'm sweating it off, but I'm not, and I never will be able to. On Thursday, October 23rd, Freiburg posted his final tweet, which read, it won't last. It'll never last. That day, Jalen also composed a group text to his family, but didn't send it, titled, My Funeral Shit. On the morning of October 24th, a Friday, Freiburg used Facebook to send a friend a picture of a gun sitting between his legs. He told the friend to have Shailene, quote, call me before I do this, unquote. Quote. Shailene called him at 1027. 
She later told her father that during that call, Jalen said that even before their breakup, he was thinking about this. And when I asked him why, he said, I don't want to be here anymore. After the call, Jalen texted his father, read the paper on my bed, dad. I love you. But no paper was ever found that we know of. Seconds later, he sent the group text he had composed to 14 or so family members titled My Funeral Shit. In it, he told his dad he loved him and he told his family to bury him next to Andrew and Nate in, quote, brand new expensive ass shit camo, unquote. He said to apologize to his victim's parents and tell them that, quote, I didn't want to go alone. I needed my rider dies with me on the other side, unquote. He said Zoe, Gia, Shaylee, and other friends might get caught up in this shit tomorrow. His last dying wish, he said, was for his ex not to be with someone whose name police redacted from their transcript. He said his funeral, quote, needs to be poppin', unquote. He closed with, quote, I love you, family. I really do more than anything. I need to do this, though. I wasn't happy and I needed my crew with me, too. I'm sorry. I love you, unquote. Jalen had asked his friends to meet him for lunch. Sitting at a table were Shaylee, Chuckle Nasket, Zoe Galasso, Andrew Freiberg, Nate Hatch, Gia Soriano, Karen Parks, and Carmen Lopez. At Jalen's request, some of them had even cut classes so that they could all eat together. The friends sat together at the table. Freiberg then entered the school cafeteria dressed in a black hoodie. With his long, dark hair parted down the center and tied in a bun concealed beneath a hat, uh, there were two versions of events. One is that Jalen sat down at a different table. Jalen then stood up and approached the table where the friends were sitting. The other version is that Jalen sat at the table with his friends. In either case, Jalen then stood up, pulled out a 40 caliber Beretta handgun, which he got from his dad, and fired at least eight shots, shooting several students in a, quote, calm, methodical way, unquote. During the shooting, Freiburg was described by a witness as having a blank stare and staring at the victims as he shot them. He also appeared to be targeting only the table where his friends were sitting. At the time of the shooting, about 10 students were seated at that table. Carmen thought Jalen had popped a bag of chips until she saw the smoke. As he reloaded, she ran. Karen dropped to the floor unharmed and crouched beneath the table while someone pulled the fire alarm. Other students in the cafeteria at the time scrambled to get out, falling over each other and ditching their bags and lunches. Gia was on her side, still moving, and Karen grabbed her hand. Nate was on his hands and knees by the table, clutching his jaw, where Jalen had shot him. As Jalen reloaded by the table, a social studies teacher raced over. But before she could stop him, Jalen finished reloading and aimed the black barrel at his neck and fired. He died instantly. The first 911 call came in at 10.39 a.m. and the school went on lockdown. Karen refused to leave her dying friends until police pried her away and led her to a nearby classroom. Her first phone call was to Shailene, but Shailene refused to believe what Karen was telling her and hung up on her. Police fire trucks and ambulances streamed to the scene as children, many with their hands above their heads, spilled out of the school onto nearby playing fields as TV helicopters circled overhead. The incident caused panic among parents and the local community as news of the shooting spread rapidly via social media, sending parents rushing to the school despite pleas from police to stay away. Some students fled the cafeteria immediately after the shooting started. Several climbed over the fence of a house next to the school and sought shelter there. Other students disregarded the school lockdown rules and fled their classrooms while they were in place. Yeah, I I think it would be really hard to listen to these instructions to stay where you are or even for parents to not 
I'm not supposed to go up to the school when my right. there's yeah. some, when children are the fight woo! or flight instinct. Yeah. Kicks in. yeah. Oh my goodness. As the school was cleared by local law enforcement officials, students were taken by bus to a nearby church. It took two hours for officers to evacuate hundreds of students who were still hiding inside the school. And more than 100 witnesses were interviewed by investigators. A student speaking to a local TV station while still on lockdown in his classroom said his teacher had told the children to get out their mobile phones in order to reassure their parents that they were still alive. I think that was good advice on that teacher. Uh, Zoe Rainey Galasso was killed at the scene by a gunshot wound to her head. Shaylee Chukulnaskit and Gia Soriano were taken to Providence Regional Medical Center, never in Washington, in critical condition with gunshot wounds to the head. The wounds were reportedly so severe that both were not immediately identifiable. Oh, my God. Yeah. Andrew Freiberg was also taken to Providence Regional Medical Center where he was in critical condition from a gunshot wound to the head. It was announced on the evening of October 26th that Gia Soriano had died from her wounds. On October 31st, one week after the shooting, Shaylee Chukulnaskit was also confirmed to have died from her wounds. Late in the evening on November 7th, two weeks after the shooting, it was confirmed that Andrew Freiberg had also died. Oh, man. Yeah. Nate Hatch suffered a gunshot wound in the jaw, the bullet lodging in his chest. He was taken to Harborview Medical Center in Seattle for treatment. He was listed in serious condition and placed in intensive care. His condition was upgraded to satisfactory on October 27th after having surgery to repair his jaw. He was discharged from the hospital on November 6th. Two other students were treated for minor injuries at the school, although it was unclear whether these injuries were inflicted by gunfire. Word spread quickly on Facebook and Twitter that the shooter was Jalen Freiberg. The Tulalip tribe released a statement on October 29th denouncing Freiberg's horrific actions and adding that the shooting was, quote, the act of an individual, not a family, not a tribe, unquote. Now, they later added that we are supporting the family of Jalen Freiberg in their time of loss, but that does not mean we condone his actions. Even so, in the wake of the shooting, threats were made against several students belonging to the Tulalip tribe. Mm. Now, welcome to Culture Corner. We talked about this when uh, last episode when the Jamaican guy shot everybody on the train and uh, Al Sharpton was like, not all black people do this. So don't hate us all. Now, people who belong to marginalized groups have an understanding that they are a representation of that group. Um, And uh, people, when somebody who is othered um, does something terrible, it is necessary for someone in that group to say, this is not us. And the default culture slash society, a.k.a. white folks, don't seem to carry that same responsibility or weight. So right. I'm, it makes me sad that the the tribe had to come out and make that statement. And say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's obvious. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Ray Freiberg Jr. became a pariah as locals blamed him for the shooting, in part because it was his gun that Jalen had used. Ray lost his job. Friends and family grew distant or worse, blasted his family in the press. At one point, Ray and his wife had to leave their home because of death threats. Federal prosecutors also blamed Ray. Ray had an order of protection against him that federal prosecutors say prohibited him from having any firearms. They arrested him in March on charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. In July, they added more unlawful possession charges. In July, a day Ray Freiberg Jr. was scheduled to appear in court, someone smashed the windows of his car. A month earlier, he'd awoken to find that someone had broken every window in his house. Now, um, it was his gun, but 
he lost his son too. Yeah. And his Mm -hmm. son did this horrible thing. I don't know how you could even process that. And then to have all this other shit happening to you, it's just uh, awful. Yeah. I can't think of, I mean, nobody, nobody wins. I mean, I mean, Rafe, I'm sure Ray Freiberg was not celebrating this event in any way. No, no. Um, So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say or what the right thing to do is. I get that the entire community felt a loss, um, but damaging Ray or hurting Ray Freiberg uh, Sr.? Is that, is, it was Ray Freiberg Sr.? No, it's Ray Freiberg Jr. because his dad. Oh, because his dad. Was, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but hurting him wouldn't help. Right. So now we're going to get into where are they now? I'll tell you. So outside the high school, a fence became a makeshift memorial covered in flowers and balloons and posters in tribute. Jalen was remembered and mourned alongside his victims. In 2016, Ray Freiberg Jr. was convicted of six counts of unlawful possession of firearms and sentenced to two years in prison. The school football team was met by the Seattle Seahawks football team and were invited to their practice facility on October 28th. Wow. On November 2nd, players on the Seahawks and the Oakland Raiders teams wore decals of Marysville Pilchuck High on their helmets during a game in Seattle, and a moment of silence was observed before the game began. A vigil was attended by over 1,000 people on the evening of October 24th, 2014, and a second vigil occurred the next day on October 27th. A moment of silence was observed by the Marysville community at 10.39 a.m., exactly 72 hours from the moment the shooting started. On October 30th, a memorial service was held for Jalen Freiberg at a recreation center in the Tulalip Indian Reservation. From his hospital bed two days after being shot, Nate posted to Twitter that he had forgiven Jalen. But his mother, Nessie Hatch, said, quote, my son did forgive Jalen in the beginning. But after he lost his friends, one after another, that forgiveness has gone from him and turned to anger, unquote. Off of the reservation, Andrew's family was, has encountered people who think that everyone named Freiburg is somehow responsible for what Jalen did. They apparently don't realize that Freibergs were also victims. In December 2014, President Barack Obama announced the Generation Indigenous Initiative. As part of that initiative, in July of 2015, The White House hosted the first Tribal Youth Gathering, a summit to provide Indigenous youth from across the country the opportunity to interact directly with administration officials on Native American affairs. Mm. The goal of the Generation Indigenous Initiative was to help improve the lives of Native youth and to cultivate the next generation of Native leaders. I can't help but uh, suspect that in 2016, that all all went away. Yeah, Um, pretty sure. Yeah, so in 2018, the last of the students present in 2014 who survived graduated from that high school. And that was the same year of the Marjorie Stoneman High School shooting. Uh, There was a nationwide walkout to save our lives organized by students across the country to protest gun violence. In 2020, Zoe Galasso's mom, Michelle Galasso, published a book titled My Rainbow to Keep about her family's unthinkable loss and her journey towards healing that she hopes will help others. Woo, that 
That was tough, y'all. Yeah, that was a rough one. Now we're going to get into our takes. So what are your takeaways, Beth? Well, this story made me so sad on many levels. Oh, yeah. These were kids, all of them, mm-hmm. including Jalen. So, yeah. so young. Yeah. Uh, I think back when I was that age and, and how... Uh, Just, well, I'm thinking of when, like, like a breakup feeling like this is the end of my world. Yeah. This is the end for me. Like there's nothing else to live for. Yeah, that's it. My life's over. I remember the first time a boy broke up with me and I was like, that's it. My life's over. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's probably cu- cultural aspects that I don't fully understand. Sure. Different cultures have different uh, ways that they regulate emotions, like yeah. in their societal stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But Native American cultures were torn apart by white society. And Native Americans have been forced to restructure and conform to white culture. And I fully admit, I don't know enough about Native American culture. But my understanding is that most Native American societies emphasize community, Mm -hmm. whereas white American culture emphasizes individuals. So Yeah. Mm -hmm. Navigating between two different cultures, especially when yours has been torn apart and then uh, had to be cobbled back together. Mm -hmm. And one culture tells you one thing and the other tells you something else. Um, I I can't even imagine how hard that has Mm. to be, how confusing that is, especially for for kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we've talked before about how the brain isn't fully formed until humans are about 25. And up until that age, the prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. the part of the brain that helps curb impulsive behavior, is Uh not yet fully developed. And Uh... uh, so I feel like, you know, it's obvious he did premeditate some of this, but I feel like um, it was an impulsive act. Yeah. But when your sample size of your life is only 14 or 15 years. Yeah. It seems like a moment. It is really nothing but a moment when your year when your years are so few. Yeah. Uh, can seem so big. Yeah, you know? exactly. And uh, you just have no context. I mean, I remember when I was younger, like like we were talking about, like feeling like, oh, this is the end. My life's over. My yeah. life sucks. It's never yeah. going to be different. Yeah. Um, but uh, here I am. I'm 56 years old and mm-hmm. um, my life's great. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel uh, it just makes me so sad. Yeah. When teenagers, um, you know, they have a hard time seeing into the future. And Definitely. when they make a decision like this, that you can't uh, that's the end. You know, right, you can't right. you can't fix it. And it's over. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just so sad. Um, yeah. And I feel like Jalen wasn't able to see beyond what was happening right then and now. And he had difficulty regulating his emotions because we saw his emotions all over the place on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He was done and he wanted to bring his friends with him. Mm-hmm. Um and uh that that's that was it. That just makes me so sad. Yeah, that was it. And I think uh, something I wish I had known when I was a fat little black girl <laughs> and yeah. growing up in in the Pacific Northwest was that it gets better. It does get I better. I remember, yeah. yeah, I I can um empathize and relate to the feeling of 
I'm I don't want to be here at all. Yeah. This is this is too painful this and sucks. this is too it's hard. It's always going to be like this and uh-huh. and it's not always going to be like that. It might take a while, but it it changes. Things change. Yeah, it gets better. I know that there's a a campaign with the Trevor Project to remind LGBTQ p- kids that it gets it gets better. Yeah. It <laughs> um, does. And I think these are all um, what Beth has said and what I'm about to say are just explanations, not excuses. I certainly right. feel terrible for all of the victims, including yeah. Jalen, including the families, including the whole communities. And ge- so this, sad. This is going to affect these people for generations to come. And I was thinking about like how the, the kids who survived this shooting, how they might raise their kids. You right. know, who, when when they are faced with sending them to school. So the trajectory of, of everybody's lives left in this wake um, is forever changed. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is a fact that children express internal symptoms of depression and anxiety um, externally. Yeah. So if they're feeling something inside, it might look like acting out. But then from a racial or eth- for ethnic minorities or BIPOC folks, it can be difficult for them to display emotions because it's frowned upon or it's dangerous. If a, a black or brown kid displays anger, um, it can be see- perceived as violence. Yeah. If a black or brown kid um, perceives um, sadness, it can be perceived it can be um, mis- misunderstood as something else. And um, his history as an ethnic minority who suffered um, racial attacks very close to when this event happened, um, a.k.a. violence and discrimination from his peers and society, yeah. indicate to me a form of PTSD. Um, yeah. That And he also suffered a recent breakup. And although he had close a close friend group and family and community, he was suffering and there were signs. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the generational trauma, which we talked about in the episode, um, lack of resources, um, which contributed to his experience. And high school is terrible. It you sucks. couldn't pay yeah. me you 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 couldn't pay me millions of dollars. You you could um, fondle a visit with Beyonce in front of my face. I will not do high school again. Uh, yeah. And it's uh, terrible. It's yeah. terrible. But on top of all that stuff, on top of how terrible high school is dealing with racism, makes it very hard. Because yeah. I think people think racism, people who don't experience it think it's invisible and doesn't exist and but it does and it affects you and i had never i've i'd never heard of this shooting before um and part of it could be because of who the victims were you know indigenous students who were not wealthy and also the shooter's background um but it was i i'm glad that we did um i um even though it was a challenge I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. And 
now it's time to move on yeah, to let's the next move on. segment of the show. <laughs> Woo! All right. So now it's time to how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So we're just going to, for this uh, How Not to Get Murdered episode, we are just going to shout out the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which in the U.S. is 1-800-273-8255. Or you can call the first and only national hotline for students to safely and anonymously report weapon threats, school shooting threats in their community, which is 1-866-SPEAK-UP. Spread the word. Yes, yeah. spread the word because this problem is not going away. No. Uh, it seems. Um, no. So now we're going to move into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by or about any other marginalized, underrepresented groups of folks or any true crime goodies. Yeah. couple things. I wanted to shout out leahsdream.org. Um, Leah's mom is my friend and she college roommate that I was telling you about who uh, oh. is a member of the Tulalip tribe and lives on the Tulalip uh, reservation as we speak. And Leah is an indigenous child with autism. Uh, and her mom uh, created an organization to provide social, charitable, and economic support for families or children and adults with autism, nice. particularly in the indigenous community. And they do all kinds of activities to help support and expand um, resources that might be available in for people living with autism in Snohomish County, Washington. Wow, that's very um, cool. And I also wanted to shout out the podcast Murderous Minors, who's hosted by our Arizona pod play cousin, War Baby, <laughs> who did an excellent job covering this case in uh, her episode titled Homecoming Prince. Yeah. Um, so what do you got, Beth? Well, uh, have you watched Colin in Black and White on Netflix? Are you fucking kidding me? Of you did. course yeah. I have. I'm not done yet, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm only two episodes in, but it's really good. It is. Great cast. Yeah, it's a drama series from Colin Kaepernick and Ava DuVernay. Kaepernick is known as the ex-San Francisco 49ers quarterback whose decision to kneel during the national anthem in 2016 to protest racial injustice effectively ended his NFL career. So in Colin in Black and White, uh, it's an autobiographical limited series. Kaepernick, who also narrates the series, wants to set the record straight about where all of this started, which was when he was a kid. Yeah. It focuses on Kaepernick's high school years as he comes into his own as both an athlete and his identity as a young biracial black man being raised by two white adoptive parents. And I had <laughs> no idea that he had two white parents. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the party. Yes, I, I I just I just love it. And it's really, really neat um to see because transracial adoption um is an it's an additional challenge 
for yeah. the adoptee in that situation because right. the parents, as much love as the, and support as they may provide, they don't a prop, understand they don't a lot it. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I love the part when he got the cornrows. <laughs> oh yeah, and then he goes. His mom is so uncomfortable in the black yeah. barbershop. Or um, gosh, there's one time. He, oh, he went to a dance with a beautiful black girl, and. He went. He went to the uh, um, the girl's house to take pictures, and they had like a huge spread of like fried chicken, um, sweet potato pie. And he goes, "Oh, this pumpkin pie looks delicious." And all the black people are like, oh, "Bless, bless your heart, pumpkin pie. Look at this little black kid here. No, son, this is sweet potato pie. Um, just all kinds of really, really good gems. Yeah. Um, and I am glad you brought that up. I it's loved a great it. Watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't finished it either but yeah. uh what i saw i loved yeah yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay well <laughs> i must say this episode was, was rough, rough. Yeah. we hope yeah. you it enjoyed it yeah it was a downer <laughs> sorry. But we hope you learned. sorry everybody <laughs> <laughs> this may not have been the most entertaining but we hope uh you went away with a little more knowledge about true crime and yeah. be a better person yeah well till next time beth where can the people find us our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. Correct. Now, <laughs> this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So till next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface, to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people, 
to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app, and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com <laughs>